Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Friday Night with Friends broadcast. Thank you all for joining us. Our special guest is someone who is very near and dear to my heart, my cousin, Dr. Janora Payne. Um, so not only is she a woman of faith, but she's an anesthesiologist who's working with COVID-19 patients. So tonight we'll be speaking with her about her professional experience with COVID-19 from a medical perspective, as well as how her profession intersects with her faith. Um, we also have two of our pastoral team members, Sister Leela and Sister Regina, who's a nurse on the broadcast tonight. <laughs> um, thank you both for agreeing to hold my hand. I know I'm a big wimp, so. <laughs> um, Janora, can you tell us more about yourself, uh, family, faith, education, whatever else you'd like to share? Sure. Thank you first, um, Newark UPC, for having me tonight. And thanks for everyone for listening in. Um, so my background, as Joyce said, we grew up together in New Jersey. Um, um, right now, I'm currently in Georgia. But um, my, as she said, my background is that I'm an anesthesiologist. And I thought I would just share a little bit just of my background, just a couple minutes, just so y'all know where I'm coming from. And as you listen, you can just listen with ears of me, not bragging about myself, but just thankful for what God has done. Because truly, as you're going through things, you know, it, it, it's all kind of fuzzy. But when you're able to look back and say, man, look at how God has brought me from one step to the other. Um, so just my background, I started college wanting to be an optometrist. And um, I, at my college was in, at Rowan University in New Jersey and my pre-med, my pre-professional advisor, which is what we called them, um, they, she was convinced from the time she met me that I was gonna be a doctor. And I'm like, no way, no how. Every doctor I knew, you always hear, oh, how much schooling it is and how hard they have to work and how much they have to study. I'm like, who wants that? So I thought optometry would be a nice blend, you know, a, a more, more of a compromise for me. But one day I took her one of her classes and it's like, God just dropped it into my heart that no, you are going to be a doctor. And so um, it was sad if I could be honest for me, because I, you know, just being honest, you know which, 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 what the path you're gonna to have to walk. You know that now you're gonna to have to spend years and years of training and have to give up a lot of fun that maybe some of your other friends have, are having, now you have to study. So, um, so that happened and um, at some time in the middle of undergrad, and then it was time to apply to medical school. So this, this advisor that I had, it's clear that God had her favoring me and that um, she came to me with this opportunity of this medical school in George Washington in DC, she says, look, this is a new opportunity. It's the first year we're doing this. You get in, you don't have to take this MCAT, which for those of you who don't know, it's a really hard test that you have to take to get into med school. And she said, you don't take that, you apply. If they like you, done, you're in. And I applied, done, I was in just like that. And when I looked back, I realized that George Washington, 13,000 people applied and 180 people got in. So what, what a miracle it was that I was even there. And, um, you know, you get there, you study, you study. And in my mind, I was going to be a surgeon because back in, um, back when I was an undergrad, I had a vision and like a vision in the, in the movie theater of me, I was sitting just in the movie theater, going to see a movie by myself. And all of a sudden I am in a operating room. This happened in my mind, maybe it was a couple of minutes. And so I'm just transformed. I'm no longer in the, in a movie theater. I'm now in an operating room and I see someone's arm. It's, I hear the beeping of a monitor and just like that, I'm back in the movie theater. So my mind, okay, I'm like, well, who's in the operating room? I must, I must, that must be what God's calling me to be as a surgeon. So I start medical school thinking I'm going to be a surgeon. And I come becomes apparent to me in the middle of my medical school and my, my, my surgery training, but my surgery uh, rotations where you expose to surgery that that was not for me. So I'm like, okay, God, I, you know, this is, this is not the lifestyle that I've, I could see for myself, as you know, there hours are long, take a lot of call, a lot of responsibility. And I thought, well, maybe who knows, maybe you just have another plan for me. So one day the church I was attending, we were fasting and we we're doing a three-day fast. I'm not sure what the reason was, but I was participating. And it's like, God spoke to my heart out of nowhere, anesthesiology. And I, I remember stopping and putting my pen down, looking around like, who said that? You know, it was, it was that all, it was quiet, but it was, it was like, I heard that. And so I'm like, well, anesthesiologists are also in the operating room too. So there we go. So I ran with that. And, um, 
you know, I pursued that and God opened up a door for me to go to uh, do a residency, have a residency position. And so I ended up in Philadelphia for those four years. I was at uh, Thomas Jefferson and Temple. And then I worked in Maryland for a couple of years. And most recently I ended up in, I'm in Georgia now. I've been here for about a year and a half. So just step by step, you look back and say, man, God, you, you've done something amazing. So um, I just wanted to encourage everybody that, of course, we all know this, but that God has plans for our lives and that he puts people in our paths to help us and people to favor us and he opens doors for us so we can be a blessing. So that's a little bit about me. Absolutely, Judge. You know what, that's pretty cool. Did you say you were at George Washington University? Yeah, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. What year was that? So it would be 2008, the summer of 2008 to the spring of 2012. Okay, so that was way over me. I worked at George. I worked at Georgetown and George Washington. Oh, very cool, very cool. Yeah, I worked for chairman of surgery at GW, Dr. Caputi. Really? Wait, uh, say the name again. Yeah. Dr. Anthony Caputi. That name sounds very familiar. I don't know if I met yeah. him, but that name is familiar. Yeah, he would have been the chair of neurosurgery oh, at GW. Oh wow, that time. small world. Small world. It is. A small world. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. All so, right. Yeah. Yes, it is. Joyce, um, are you asking the questions? Yeah. So okay. um, as an anesthesiologist, what interactions have you had with COVID-19 patients? We, so I don't work in the ICU. I'm primarily in the operating room. And so my prime experiences are when COVID positive patients have to come down to have emergency surgery. We're we're not doing elective surgery on them at this point. We're only doing like medically necessary procedures. Like if someone's appendix is, they need appendix surgery or their gallbladder removed, things like that. Um, so they'll bring them down to the operating room. We'll take care of them and then we'll bring them back upstairs. Another way actually would be on, we work with um, pregnant patients. We put epidurals in. So, um, you know, you may, may, you may be asked to take care of, do C-sections and put epidurals in those folks. And also actually the most high risk thing that we do the most high risk exposure possible for um, people taking care of COVID patients, we were asked to do at our hospital, which is intubating, which means when they're having a difficult time breathing, we are called to put the breathing tube in them. And as you can imagine, you're in their face, you're close to their mouth and their nose, and it's just a high rate of transmission. So that I think was, that is the most uh, dangerous part of you know what 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 we were doing or what we have been doing. So so what do you wear to do that to intubate so, a COVID patient? Okay, so good question. So we have our N95, and then our hospital we actually have these almost like imagine a Ghostbuster um, a helmet that goes on, and then yeah, you, you can even put like this hose in the back, and it it sucks negative pressure it you know sucks the air out to kind of keep things circulating so you can wear that some people just wear that 95 of course a face shield some goggles and you know you, you wear um you wear this this full how do i describe it it's almost like a big smock and you put your arms in it and it covers you but there are even protocols believe it or not on how to put your gloves on especially taking your taking your equipment off is the most is one of the times where you can contaminate yourself and so what i got in the habit of doing is when i had to go intubate someone i would just go stop what i was doing and change my clothes because you know then you have to go back and take care of other patients so of course you wash your hands well but I would just put on new scrubs because I didn't want to take that risk. So, and, and as, as you can imagine, your, your mental gain, it's, it's when all this started happening in March and our, our, our anesthesia group let us know, hey, we are going to be the team. It wasn't the ICU doctors intubating, it was us. So it's almost like they punted that ball to us and said, hey, anesthesia folks, you go and now you guys get to do them like, oh, great. Thank you. Thanks for letting, <laughs> thanks for letting us do that. So you can imagine the stress that surrounded um, that a lot of people were feeling because we weren't really sure what was going on with COVID. It was, yeah. we, we weren't, everyone was so sick because the treatments were, we were still figuring everything out. So for me, it was, it was a lot, a lot of prayer, a lot of 91st Psalm going into work. I mean, when you get the phone call, your heart kind of sinks like, oh, and then you just kind of, okay, okay. Get your mind right. Remind yourself that God is with you. And then, um, you know, the angels protecting me and just go and do it. 
when you when you went into anesthesiologist did you ever think in anesthesiology did you mm -hmm. ever think that you would be in a dangerous situation <laughs> funny did that and ever cross your never, mind never never yeah. and um you know we we I never, I never thought that I would be in this situation, taking care of people in a pandemic. You understand that, hey, I'm going to have to take care of patients who are really sick and maybe patients who have gotten, you know, been in car accidents and been stabbed, gunshot wounds, things like that. But I never thought that I was going to be the one that's now at risk and now taking potential pathogens home. Like I, I'm married and I have a son, an almost three-year-old son. So it's just, you're like, man, I, I don't know if I signed up for all this. And um, imagine there, there are folks in, who I work with that are elderly and, um, you know, who have a lot of medical conditions. Mm -hmm. So some of them just took two months off. They just said no. But eventually, I mean, it's still here. How many months are we into this thing? Maybe eight or nine right. months. So they eventually had to come back. But um, it is it for me, it has definitely grown me up. In a in a in my Christian faith, because you have to, or else right. you're just going to be stressed the whole time. It it has occurred to me during this time that you know firefighters when they become firefighters they know that there's a danger with it. Police officers, mm -hmm. there there are these careers that you know you're taking risks. Well, medical mm -hmm. professionals, I never thought of, you know, unless I went to some war torn country or something, mm -hmm. and I have control over that. Yes, um, that it could be dangerous. So. Yes. There's a lot of heroes out there that really never intended to be, but you are. <laughs> Very well said. And uh, and I can I can even think back to when all this was happening and we were getting information about, okay, how to intubate and how, not intubate, but how to intubate the COVID positive patients. It's a different, different um, I guess, a different procedure and a different way to, you know, take off your gloves and put on your gloves, things of that nature. We were told that, look, in a pandemic, there are no emergencies. So if you get called to a situation where someone's heart or lungs have stopped and they're, they're no longer breathing, you don't run in there without your PPE because it's an, it's an emergency for them. You have to stop and protect yourself first. And to me, to me, it's kind of counterintuitive because you're thinking, no, patient first, patient first. But they said, no, we need our healthcare workers. So you have to stop and put on your N95, put on your face shield, put on your gown, put on your shoe covers, all those things. And then you go in there. So that was a, definitely a different way of thinking for me too. So the code blue patient is sitting there coding yeah. and coding putting and on your shoe covers. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. That would feel strange. Now, now I'm curious, have you ladies um, had any exposure to been had to work with any COVID patients and all this? No. That's good. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm locked down anyway. Antoine's not having it. Okay. <laughs> I can't even go to okay. the <laughs> Okay. <laughs> We're taking um, care of Joyce. Yeah, there, there well, we high go. Risk. For those who yeah. don't know, I'm really high risk. So, um, yeah. Well, you mentioned your faith, though. Can you mm -hmm. talk more about that? Like, how has this been trying for you in that area? Absolutely. I think that just going to work, knowing that you are going to be exposed to things and um, just just reminding me to have my faith in the right area. Okay, I could put my faith in PPE, I could put my faith in gloves and gowns and all these things, but at the end of the day, I can contaminate myself on mistake. And if all my faith is there, then I'm always stressed. But for me, it was a matter of, okay, Janora, do the things you know to do, protect yourself the way you know to, but at the end of the day, you have to trust that God has, as y'all heard, has taken me through all these different, different doors and, and just, just walked me through this path. So believing that he is going to sustain me and protect me and protect my family. So I just have to believe that and tuck that away. And whenever I have a moment where, like, actually, a couple of days ago, I actually had two pregnant patients who needed to have C-section to take care of them. And you have a moment where you say, did I touch myself with this? And you just got to say, just go wash your hands and just say a prayer. And you know, that, that, that's all, that's all. So it has made me trust God more through all this for sure. The fiery trials, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Can you explain PPP a little more? Can you elaborate on that? Oh, sure, sure. So PPE stands for personal protective equipment. So it's anything from um, the N95 mask. So the mask y'all typically will see people out and about in grocery stores 
they're just it's just a simple mask just covers your face i i should have brought one over so i could show you but in n95 that means that number 95 means it, it filters 95 percent of the air particles so it's much more safe and um aerosolized um aerosolized viruses things like tb or um, mm -hmm. COVID really in certain circumstances. So it's a very tight fitting mask. It fits around your face. We wear that. We wear goggles to protect our eyes. We wear the, the gloves. Are, we, we double glove actually. Um, and then, you know, depending on if you're intubating, you have the, this large helmet shield that covers your face. So just in case secretions and things fly up in the air, your eyes are protected. And so uh, I'm sure y'all remember hearing back in May, especially in New York, some of those hospitals, I mean, these folks were wearing, re-wearing their N95s. Now I should say, originally N95s were supposed to be worn one time and thrown away. Back when all this started, I was wearing mine for two weeks. They basically said, wear it until it's soiled or until it no longer has a effective seal. So because everyone needs it and there was in such short supply. So we were, we still had to reuse ours, but we weren't in as bad a shape as some of these other places in New York and all these other um, cities. So that's, an, that's a blessing that on top of everything, you're not like, oh, I don't even have the equipment to protect me. Do you have enough now? Yes. And, and you so can throw it away after each use. Yeah, so maybe two or three months ago, we got an email saying, okay, my hospital's Northside. So they said, oh, Northside Hospital, we have plenty, so you can get a new one every day. But for me, it's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, I've already been scarred a little bit. I'm like, uh, I, I used to wear this mask for two weeks. I'm not throwing that away. So when I come home, I, I have a bag by the door, I just drop it in there. And so now I have a probably like, three months supply of mask. And my husband, he's been doing some some uh, some woodworking. So he'll take my mask. I'll say, those are good masks. What are you using them for to, to sand things down? But um, but the point is I'm keeping them around just because one time to me now was like, well, it still fits me well. I don't want to waste it, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you talk about um, your the precautions you take before going home? Because I know Wes is what, three, like you said? Yes, yeah. yes. So it, it's, I've, it's becoming a little more lax in certain situations. In the beginning, no matter where I was, what I was doing, I would come home and I would take a shower. I would just run right upstairs. I wouldn't say hello to anybody. I would just take a shower. But now, now so what we're doing is, so I work at a mixture of surgery centers where they're just standalone freestanding surgery centers with healthier patients. And I also go to hospitals. So if I'm at the hospital, then of course you have a lot more exposure to potentially COVID. So I will shower when I get home. But if I'm in a surgery center, to me, the, ri the risk is much less. It is still there, but I'm, I'll kind of drag my feet. I probably should go home and shower right away, but I'll, I'll shower eventually. But you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how you kind of get callous to things. And just like people talk about COVID fatigue, it's real. Because in the beginning, I mean, you were on hyper alert and now it's like, oh, you know, I'll shower. So thank you for bringing that up. I will I will do better from the surgery centers showering as soon as I get home. Just to <laughs> so you change out of your scrubs anyway. So you're oh, changing yes, clothes yes. before you come home. Exactly, so. exactly. Yeah. And you know some people wear the same scrubs. They wear their scrubs into work, and they'll 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 launder them themselves and wear them in. But I, I've gotten and over the past few years, I've just worn plain clothes in. I change, and then I come home in my in my clothes. So, and Janora, you mentioned um, at the surgery centers, do, do you guys require patients to have a COVID test be before they come in? We do. We do. Mm -hmm. So I believe most places are about five days. So they have to get tested within that window. Today, I had a lady who was supposed to come in, but she didn't have her COVID test. So it was really, we, don't, we tell them just don't even come in. There, there's no point because you don't know. And they tell them, get a test. And they say, quarantine yourself at home for five days before. I don't know how many people are actually doing that, but that's what they're supposed to do. And they've limited the amount of people that can visit. You used to be able to have one or two people, one or two folks with you in the pre-op area while you're waiting to go back to the OR. Now, at the most, they allow one. So in the beginning, when we first started back, they said nobody. And even on OB, it's a big deal because OB used to have a be able to have a room full of people. Now you can only have one person. So I think for some moms, it's it's difficult because they can't have their husband and their mom. It's just their husband, you know. 
So everything has changed in the hospital. Everything has changed. No, what's the, um, can you share maybe a heartbreaking story? Of, you know, of, are there any that you can share? Obviously. Yes, 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 yes. So my, the, the moments that have, have brought me to tears and even when I've had to excuse myself in the operating room or on labor and delivery, there were two similar instances where um, a mom was full term, you know, the baby's due in a couple days and she just has bleeding and she comes into the, to the hospital. We do an emergency C-section and the baby's born and, you know, lifeless. And so they're over there doing CPR. And one of the times I was six months pregnant myself. So it really hit home because the mom was healthy. There was nothing and just all out of, out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So um, that was, that was tough. And it's when that happens, something like that happens, there's not a dry eye in the OR. I mean, of course the OBs have to hold it together. The obstetricians who are operating, but the nurses, the anesthesia team, the nursery people, everybody is just like, just a mess. And the OB afterwards, you see them and they're, they're crying. So those have been um, the hardest times. I mean, OB is very great. You know, when the C-sections happen, the babies are born, it's high highs and low lows. So um, I think those are my saddest times. Yeah. Have you found yourself praying for your patients? I have, I have. And um, that was something that I was working on before COVID, but now nor going into work, that's one of the things I make a point is to, to pray for the surgeons, for the patients, for myself, for the nurses, that, that, you know, that all goes well. And sometimes when I have to go intubate someone who has COVID, I'll try to make a note to just pray for them because um, this, this time is, is, it's just unprecedented. I think that's the word that we've been hearing a lot of, but it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just nothing else we could do but pray. Yeah, even you speak of the COVID patients and, you know, not being able to have family in, uh, you have people on ventilators and things like that. And, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, it's caregiving to a whole different level when you realize yeah. that people are by themselves. Yes. One of my friends, she is a palliative care doctor, which means she deals with end of life issues and, and she deals with, um, yeah, but mostly end of life issues, trying to make patients comfortable. She works in a, in a hospice, but she also works in the ICU on her times where she's in the hospital. And she said that has been the most difficult thing for her is for a man, for a husband and wife to be FaceTiming you know, their last moments. And just to think about how intense that is and how you can't even touch somebody. They're not even allowed to come into the hospital. You have to have that moment when, as they're passing away on FaceTime. So thankfully, thankfully I'm shielded from that because of, you know, where we are in the OR, but I, I can't imagine. I imagine that the stress level for the ICU workers is so much higher and I'm sure they're just so drained. Um, and then to hear that 120,000 people, right, were just diagnosed with COVID today. That the, so I, you know, it, it, it's just hard. Yeah, it's an understatement. Yeah. Can you can you talk a little bit about ventilators? Um, sure. We're we're not familiar as a as a general population. You know, we we know kind of what they are, but then COVID hits, and suddenly everybody's talking about ventilators and mm -hmm. and. Uh, how do they how do they work? What were they originally for? Were they intended for somebody to be on them for a month? Um, you know how how do they work when your lungs are filled with gook? Mm -hmm. You know how does a ventilator help? Just mm -hmm. tell us what you think would be helpful about ventilators. Sure, good question. Uh, so ventilators are. Um, just they're, they're an external mechanism to help you breathe. So as patients uh, with COVID get more sick and their, their lungs, as you mentioned, are filled with fluid or wherever that it is, they, they cannot breathe well. So that's when we'd be called first to put a breathing tube in their airway. And imagine like the size of your pinky, it's about mm, 12 inches long. It's a hollow plastic tube. And we come and we place that in your mouth and it goes around into your windpipe and sits right about here. So then the ventilator, it, there, there's a, a circuit, circuit tubing, plastic tubing that connects to that breathing tube. And basically we have respiratory therapists and the ICU doctors, they, they, they set the ventilator, they, they, it basically breathes for you to set, we, we can set how much of a breath, how big of a breath you get, how small of a breath, how many times a minute it breathes for you, 
we can we can change the oxygenation settings so we can get make it give you the max amount which is 100 oxygen or down to whatever whatever eventually that the goal is to wean you off the ventilator so give less and less oxygen and the ventilators do breathe for you but they also have settings where you can breathe for yourself so as as you're trying to inspire maybe because your lungs are filled with fluid, you're not breathing well, that ventilator will kick in and it will finish the breath for you. So there, there are certain things that you can do, certain settings that way too. Um, and so eventually the goal is, as I mentioned, to wean them off the ventilator so that they can, you can take the breathing tube out. But unfortunately, some folks after about two weeks, that's when, that's normally the cutoff when the ICU doctor starts saying, if they're not turning the corner and doing better, we need to think about um, a, what's something called a tracheostomy. And so a surgeon would come in and it's basically a surgical airway right in their neck. I'm sure you may have seen in movies or um, seen, seen people out and about, but it's basically a little incision here right into your trachea. And they, um, they put a little apparatus about this long, it curves, and that sits in your trachea. So the, the, re the reason we take out the breathing tube is after a certain amount of time, those two weeks, it can cause your trachea to be injured and damaged and to have strictures and just permanent damage to your trachea, which is never good. So a tracheostomy, you can still be on a ventilator. We can still connect the circuit here and it can still breathe for you. But normally that that is the bridge to getting you off the ventilator. And then hopefully when you're off the ventilator, you can still breathe with, th through the tracheostomy. And then eventually, hopefully, as you get better, the, the surgeons can come and close this area that this, they call it a trach, and then you can go back to breathing the normal way. So that would be the progression. I hope that made, did that make sense? Yes, yes, okay. very good. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very layman, thank okay. you. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, can you share with us any moving experiences you've had? Um, someone submitted a question. Um, what are some happy results or experiences? You oh, have? happy results. I think, I think my happiest days are on labor and delivery. I enjoy labor and delivery a lot. It's nice to, it's nice to walk into a room where, where, where the mom is just in uncontrollable pain and you go in there and God blesses your hands and you just put the epidural in and you leave and she is snoring like a baby, like, like that, that is the best because you know that, you know, you did that and, and she's going to have, she's going to have that baby and be comfortable. C-sections, 99.9% .9 of the time, C-sections are wonderful. A lot of times I tear up and normally I often go back and look at the baby and, you know, congratulate the family because it's this wonderful moment that you get to be a part of their family growing and they've never seen the baby. Most people these days, they want to, they don't want to be surprised, but some people want to and they pull the baby out and the baby's crying. They don't know what it is. That's, that's awesome. So I, I really enjoy OB in my hospital. We do a lot of OB. So I think those are my most moving, most happy times. I think so, just about all pregnant women are happy to see the anesthesiologist. But so, so <laughs> now what y'all might have missed is my last name is Payne. So oh I'm, no, can I you? So did y'all catch that? So I'm, I so I'm Dr. That. Payne. So I so I come and say, That's oh awesome. hey, I'm Dr. Payne, and some people laugh, and some people are like. What did you say? So every day at work, at least five times, somebody makes a comment about my name. So it is what it is. <laughs> well, you could have hyphenated it. I could have. I, could have. I, just, I just joke around. I say, yeah, yeah. I make some type of funny joke. But, you know, that's just the, the thing I have to bear, I guess. That could be. When you were talking about epidurals, I wanted to say, thank you for your service. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amen. It, it is yes. something, that labor pain. I got mine as soon as I could. Some people will say, oh, no, I want to wait. Why? So, mm -mm. Those women are awesome because I yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. My yeah. And and I guess I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no, after you. I was I had no clue about epidurals with my first child. And uh -huh. by the time I got to the hospital, I was eight centimeters dilated and they said it was too late. Uh -huh. Oh, I had a meltdown. I had a total meltdown. <laughs> so, you know, fast four years later with the second one, I can't uh -huh. even do it. I'm ready for the epidural now. <laughs> You're like, I'm not having pain yet, but I'm going to, and I want it. <laughs> uh, but the, the circle back to the question that someone asked, for, for me, I, I have a unique 
experience because I don't often see people from the beginning of their disease process to the end. I meet them somewhere in the middle. So I see them when they come in, have surgery, we get them through the surgery, and then I send them off home. And I, I often never see the patients again. So for me, that's why I think OB is more rewarding because you're actually seeing the result, the end result, whereas oftentimes I'm just, someone's getting their appendix out or having back surgery, but it is very rewarding for people who are ill and that people you warn, hey, you know, you're high risk for, for complications for them to do well by God's grace. And, you know, you, that's very rewarding for me too, on, in addition to labor and delivery. Absolutely. Well, you're a person clearly of faith and science. So as you know, this pandemic just really pitted faith and science just against each other. Mm-hmm. How do you reconcile those two? Um, can you even think of a scenario where science said one thing, but faith said another, if you can think of one? Yeah, I, I would say the way I reconcile it is I, I'm thankful for science and I'm thankful for the knowledge that we've been able to attain of the human body and even with anesthesia. Um, but I also understand that even with anesthesia in our textbooks, we know that certain medicines work, but we're not exactly sure why they work. And so it's, it's funny that, that we trust them and we use them, but we don't understand it, but we know it works. So I, I guess what, what I go with that is I'm just thankful. I know that science is one thing, but God is the ultimate. So, um, so I just, I just, I just always Whenever it's uh, some, there's a mystery. Whenever something we don't know, I just I take peace in the fact that God knows, and there are certain things that I'm just not going to know, you know. And I, I, on the other on the other point of that, though, it does make you wonder. Sometimes you'll meet young women or young men who are otherwise healthy, but they have these really bad aggressive cancers, and it makes you wonder, God, why them? But I have to stop and say that that's not for me to know, you know. That's 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 not my department so I whenever I have a question I just take it to God and just I have to leave it there I don't know if that answers your question yes it does yeah so well there was another question submitted um Mm -hmm. having switching up a little bit have you had any transplant patients and what is their survival rate um heart transplant especially so I where I've worked, I've only had heart transplant patients where I did my residency, which was in um, Philadelphia, and we didn't do a great number. Maybe I've seen one or two. And um, I, I would think though that their, trans, that their survival rate is quite high just on the virtue of anyone that's on the transplant list. Normally, um, if, if, they, if they could find a good heart for you, then normally your heart is really the only issue. It isn't like you have a bad heart and other other um, illnesses that would prevent you from from recovering well. So I would think if they're able to find a heart that matches you, then your recovery is pretty good. Yeah, good that's part. an interesting way to think of it. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, and I and it's just I think at Temple Temple University Hospital they do more heart and lung transplants. At my at my residency at Jefferson, we did a lot of liver transplants, a lot of kidney transplants. Um, but I can count on one hand, heart transplants, it's all fuzzy. And thankfully now, um, now that I'm out practicing, you only would do those if you had a background in um, cardiac anesthesia, which is anesthesia of the heart. And th- they do all the really complex open heart surgeries. And that's something that I don't have. And I'm kind of glad about that. <laughs> um, I didn't know that there were there are different areas of anesthesia. Oh yeah. So, so after your residency, after your medical school, you do your anesthesia residency, you could spend one or two years, you can do OB, so obstetric anesthesia, you can do cardiac anesthesia, pediatric anesthesia. So the folks that work in CHOP, those are pediatric anesthesiologists and um, you can do neuroanesthesia. So they're like several, and you can do, you can work in the ICU as well. So several different avenues after, if you'd like to advance your, Mm -hmm. your, uh, your training. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Do you know of any ways to resist COVID fatigue? Ooh, for, I think for me, 
I think for folks in healthcare, it's a little easier because it's it's always just one floor up in the ICU. The only thing to do is go there and walk through and you can see it or you have a patient you take care of. But I think that for people who aren't in the medical field, that's really, really a challenge. And I, I understand why people after a while just say, you know what, I'm just going to go out, go to this party and live my life because, or, or go to this gathering because, you know, you're like, well, maybe, maybe you don't know anybody that has it, or maybe you just, you've had no exposure to it, or you, you think, oh, I'm okay. But I think that we always have to stop and remind the folks that aren't in that, in the medical field, you have to stop and just think of the numbers and how the numbers are going up. And sure, the chances that you would do okay, maybe okay, but there's always a chance that you wouldn't. So it's it's important just to just to protect yourself as much as you can. And um, one of my one of my good friends is an emergency is an, an emergency room doctor, and she says for her, imagine that in the emergency room she sees it all the time, and the folks that she sees don't are not tested yet. At least for me in the hospital, I have the luxury of knowing who's positive and negative. So every patient she meets has the potential to have it. So she said, look, Janora, I don't do anything. I go to the grocery store. I haven't gone back. She hasn't gone back to church. She's like, I just come home and relax because young people, she's seen young people pass away from it who are healthy. So to her, it's very real. But um, I would I would just try to just try to remember, remember how serious it could be when when you want to do something that's a little risky, say, do I really need to do this? And if the answer is no, then yeah, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. That's a good point. I'm trying to remind myself of that all the time. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it is and, it's and, tiring, you know. And as you know, I think mm-hmm. some people have been getting together. I think you came into town not too long ago, but mm-hmm. we did together and it is hard, you know. Yeah. So it's hard. I like you said, we have to be reminded of it constantly yeah. because you want to believe, oh well, I'll be fine, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Regina asked you at the, at the outset, you know, if you ever thought you would find yourself dealing, you know, in such a dangerous, you know, in, in such a dangerous time in the medical field. But I think <laughs> this whole pandemic is so unbelievable. It's not. Like who who would have ever thought we'd be in this predicament? And I think at some point people, they get, it's so unbelievable. Yes. That it can't quite be what everybody's saying, you know, and so they, yes. they're not making that realistic connection. Yes, yes. Yeah, they're, they're not just numbers on your newscasts of all these, these it's, are real mm-hmm. it's more believable that there would be some conspiracy theory almost right then mm-hmm. then this would be real yes you yeah. know it's it's yeah. easier to believe yeah. some crazy idea it, than, it yeah. is and back in so for us i know for y'all in the northeast was it may or was it april may were tough for me i know new jersey and new york for mm-hmm. us the tough time was in the summer so um you know, our, 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 our ICU was full. They had to make a whole other, they call it like a, like a overflow ICU because it was just so full. And so um, we were actually going to come up to New Jersey and Delaware. And I think I bowed out gracefully and said, no. And I think my parents thanked me because they didn't want to have to say, no, you can't come and see us. But, um, you know, that was, um, that was just, that was very, that was very real for me then. And I think since now our numbers in our hospital have gone down, it's easier to just kind of forget about it. But I just always try to remind myself of that. And I actually remember back in December, one of my coworkers is Chinese and her mom lived in Wuhan. And I remember her mm-hmm. saying to me, she said, have you heard about this, this new respiratory virus? This is December, 2019. Yeah, you know, people are getting really sick. In, in Wuhan and you know hundreds of people have died and I remember that and I had no idea but it's amazing oh. I've gone back to your point about how unbelievable it is that her and I can have that conversation and now almost a year later how many people have passed away and how it's affected the whole mm-hmm. world so it's, it's like watching a movie and seeing a small little fire and then it just it just spreads over the world mm-hmm. so wow yeah and for the United States of all countries to be you know like, yeah, it, it is pretty unbelievable. Yes, that's yeah, a perfect word. Perfect word. Absolutely. Yeah. So then what are some of the tools you use to balance work and family and the emotions of your job? So um, when I come home, I think my husband, he doesn't even bother to ask anymore. He'll ask, how was work? And normally I'll just say, work is work. 
And so I will try hard to leave. I'll say, oh, it was fine. I try hard not to talk about work at home. I try hard not to think about it. Now, there are days where you have an especially tough day and I'll talk about it. But normally, it's like I leave it in the car. Well, normally, I get in the car and I listen to some music. I'll call my parents. I'll just try to just cut off whatever happens. So I just can go on about my day, go home, play with play with my son. And before you know, you've forgotten about it. And I think with my feeling, I'm fortunate to be in that position because I don't have to, like I, I see new patients every single day. So sure, I will go back the next day and check up on people and say, oh, you know, I wonder how so-and-so did. But for the most part, I'm not like a traditional doctor that goes and sees that patient the next day and rounds on them and checks labs and prescribes. I mean, for me, it's just the OR, make sure you make it to the recovery room okay, and then, then you go on. But not talking about work is helpful. Now, you could say, is that unhealthy? Because maybe I should be talking about it more. But, you know, so far, it's been going fine for me that way. <laughs> well, is it hard for you to leave work at work? Does it, does it stay in your mind? If you have a, a tricky case or, a, or a, like you mentioned, the, the, you know, the baby, the very sad situations, does that, does that stick in your head and you have trouble leaving work at work? It does. It does. If it was an especially difficult day and I had a complication or, or if I had a bad outcome, I will go home thinking about it. I think about, man, you know, what could I have done differently? How could I have avoided this? And so because my job can be very risky at times, we do sometimes have bad outcomes. And so I think it's part of trying to be a better doctor, I guess, to even though I try to leave it at home. I'm, I'm still thinking about it. So um, and oftentimes I have to go read a read a some literature in a, in a journal to figure it out. I'll talk it out with one of my more senior colleagues and say, hey, I had this situation the other day. Right. You know, what, what do you think? What would you have done? And I think those things are helpful to put it to rest and say, okay, next time this happens, then I move forward or else if I don't have, if I don't have um, closure, then it just circles right. and circles around. Right. I'm sure like we all have things like that. that mm-hmm. just, yeah. Absolutely. Good question. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have a special worship song that has strengthened and given you encouragement during this mm-hmm. time? Anything in particular? I know you love music. So. What, a, what a good question. So um, so I do love music. And that's one of the things I like to do. I listen to worship music on the way in. I like, um, I like there's this new group. Now I'm blanking on their name. Maverick City. They are, they, uh, they have some really good songs. They have three volumes that I listen to pretty much on repeat. I like Bethel music. I like, um, I like, uh, hold on, give me a second. Um, who, who are the folks that, that wrote that song? Good, good father. House fires. Hillsong. Is it Hillsong? Well, I like Hillsong too, but house fires, um, okay. build, build my life. They've, they've written some really yeah. good worship songs. So mm-hmm. I'll listen to those. And those are often, if I'm have in the morning, for sure, I'll listen. In the afternoon, if I need to, it's like medicine just listen and just focus on that focus on God it always helps absolutely Mm -hmm. you already mentioned some of those things that you do to decompress but is there anything else you do so I play the piano and I play the guitar so that's always helpful too is to sit home I don't have as much time as I'd like to these days to play but I try to do that and then I I go for runs a couple times a week if I can so those would be I'm watching a movie of course so you know, growing up, Joyce and I, we were all every weekend, we were at someone's mm-hmm. house watching a movie together. Uh-huh. So, so we still do a lot of that. <laughs> so music and movies and trying to go outside. I love being outside, doing any type of exercise. Those are the things that help me out. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it helps being there in Georgia as opposed to the East Coast, right? The, at least with oh, the temperature being warm. Yes. Yeah. You know what? You know what? Last Thanksgiving, I wore a sleeveless shirt to to the to the house that I went to to my friend's house and I thought man like this is unreal it'll get it'll get cooler in December and January but definitely warmer for longer so, that would be amazing yeah. you know especially for me yeah <laughs> come down whenever you want <laughs> oh, sounds good I guess when this blows over you know yeah so. <laughs> um after the, after the pandemic, Julie. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right. After, right. The, pandemic. after. after the pandemic. It will it's end. Been, it has to. I think, <laughs> and it's already been a while since we've even seen each other, huh? Right. Very so, true. Yeah, I couldn't see you last time you came up, but um, yeah. 
So what advice can you give to believers so mm-hmm. that we can better patients and encourage the medical professionals who treat us? Mm. I think um, to be to be better patients, I would say if you if you need to go into the hospital or you know you need or not the hospital, if you need to have a procedure or you need to go to the doctor's office, I would say try to, especially your procedure, try to lay low and try to follow whatever directions they give you as far as not not exposing yourself to COVID, not not going out to big mass gatherings because someone's going to have to put you to sleep and they're going to have to be in your airway and it could be test negative but then if you're out and about then who knows what you know what what you're exposed to so i would say just following those directions and i would also say as far the second part was 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 praying for what or no what 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 things that we we could use help with as healthcare workers yes um let me say to be better patients and encourage the medical professionals who treat us yeah I think I think prayer would be the best thing because, as I mentioned earlier, we have had plenty of PPE for the most part, but plenty of places don't. And how demoralizing that must be to know that you have to go to work and not have the the proper protective equipment. So just praying that people have the things that they need and that people are not afraid and that Christians, you know, as Christians in the healthcare field, that we have enough boldness just to be a light and and to and especially when people are stressed and people are, um, you know, depressed, I feel like that is a time for us to come and be light and to be, um, to, to give them joy and give them encouragement and share Jesus and that, that we wouldn't be afraid and that we would seize those opportunities we have in this time where people may be more open because it's a crisis than they would be if things were going well. So, yeah. And prayer for protection, of course, from COVID. <laughs> we yes. wouldn't get it. Yeah. 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 I, I think we can also support by being smart. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've, you've heard some of Jadora's story here and, and the impact that it's having on the healthcare workers and all. And, mm-hmm. you know, you think our, our carelessness, mm-hmm. you know, it's all impacting the medical professionals. You're exactly right. Having to open up these, you know, ancillary areas and all because, you know, people are getting careless, which means the chance you might live in the hospital and you're impacted. So it's a domino effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and wow. I know Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming. I know you might mm-hmm. want to have a nice big gathering. I mean, our family with Joyce and I, easily there are 50 people if we all wanted to get together. Yeah. But I think you just have to really remember, hey, it's just this one Thanksgiving or Christmas that we have to be separate and maybe be creative. You do Zoom meetings. I know it's not the same, but um, we, we just have to find a way to be to get to fight it together. And we all have to do it. It can't be half of us or 20% of us, you know, we all have to do it. Yes. So. Well, is there a way to help those who have a serious fear of needles? (laughs) Have you encountered that? Yes. And um, normally I just, I try to distract them or I just try to talk them through it. Um, I, I wish there was a way but no, you know, we, we do sometimes we inject a little, a little numbing medicine or we'll, we'll put a little numbing cream on, on their skin. But most of the time, you know, if you talk them through it and let them know, hey, if you, we don't have an IV, we can't give you anesthesia. Normally that kind of lets people, they may scream a little bit, you know, they may look, but it, it's just quick and then they're done. It's mm-hmm. done. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, I used to be really afraid of needles and I still don't like I'm such a baby, but I, I stick people. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that ironic? And you, you watched me get them all the time. Yes, but it's different. I had to look though. I had, to, I can't look away. I have to see it coming. No, I don't want to see it. I'd look, turn and close my eyes like a little baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> was always there when I would get needles and she'd be like, you know, <laughs> see? Yeah. like it was her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Funny. You know, I had a best friend who was terribly skinny on needles. She probably still is. Uh-huh. And uh, we, used to take, we used to go to a dentist appointment together. For some reason, that was our thing. It was right the street from my house. And we'd go for our dentist appointments. And she would perform. I mean, she would perform at that dentist <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and then I remember this one time, it was probably the last time it happened. She's she's hooping and hollering, okay, you know, and the dentist pulled out the mirror. You know, this little mirror on a stick. <laughs> the mirror is what she had in her mouth. She go, ah, and she's screaming. She's like, 
the reader and we let it was so funny but let me get ourselves all worked up in this little frenzy <laughs> yes that is funny that's really funny uh, <laughs> but it is different with the dentist. I can say that. I even have a fear of the dentist. Do you? I'm used to doctors, but really? anything, yeah, in my mouth, it, it's just. Oh. I don't mind so much. No, I... that bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a question that I figured was coming. Uh -huh. um, do you have any fun stories um, of Joyce? Or you and I, I guess. Oh, cool. I have plenty. And I, I thought about this one long and hard, actually. I thought about, do, do I have anything? So I have two stories. The first one, y'all may never, I don't know. I'm sure y'all watching know Joyce. And you know, she's so lovely and she's so happy and giggly. But back in back in high school, she was not a morning person. Not at all. Still not. She, like, still not. <laughs> oh, she's still not? Okay. So, so I, we used to ride together to high school and we had to get there like it was it 640 or 740? I think it was I 740. I have no clue. I was half so, asleep still. So her and her mom, they, they picked me up on the way and I'd get in. Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's so nice. And Joyce would say, morning like like the, the most unpleasant like <laughs> like how rude right so every day I would mess with her and this one particular day she was not having it and we finally got to school and then she gets out of the school out of the out of the van and falls backwards over the curb and I laughed so hard now 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 it was funny because it's almost like that that's what you get for all, all those mornings I'm, I'm being I'm being you know nasty in the morning so I, I, I thought that was funny and then one one more it doesn't involve her falling or hurt she wasn't hurt by the way you were fine right no <laughs> <laughs> so she always laughed at me by the way if anything happened she just would fall out laughing well you have to laugh at something yeah you, you have to get by you have to have a sense of humor so so we're at the mall. Um, this is probably another high school story. We're at the mall at Bath and Body Works. They have this beautiful, tall display of of these um, of these lotion bottles. And uh, you know, her her sister and I are over across the across the store looking around the things. And next thing we we know, we hear a huge crash. And we turned around. We said, "What was that?" And Joyce's hand was up next to the display counter, and she had knocked over all the lotions and had called these. <laughs> And to this day, will you admit that you knocked the, the lotions down? No. no. <laughs> Don't lie, Joyce. Don't lie. I, don't I thought you were going to tell the story of when I fell in the mall, but I'm well, so, I, 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 so I thought of that right one too. Now, so. I thought of that one too, but I couldn't do too far. And I just laid there and my sister was like, get out, Joyce, get out. Yes, yeah, yeah, she I fell. In the middle of the mall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. I heard some story about you. There was, did you have an accident somewhere you were young? I'm trying to remember that. Was it almost drowned or uh -huh. something? Oh, me. She, oh, yes, I did. Uh -huh. Yes, I did. So I, I must have been maybe eight or nine is what's ringing a bell. And our family, we would often go to this certain hotel on the weekend. And we had an indoor pool. So we'd all go with, with our cousins. And I remember getting in the elevator and seeing a nice man who looked, he's a tall guy, um, older gentleman. And he, he looked down at me and said, I'll see you at the pool. And I'm with my parents. And I said, no, yeah, fine. And we get to the pool. And all I remember is, you know, when you're young and you can't, you can't stand up, you kind of hold on to the side and you're, I'm kind of doing that. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm drowning, I guess. I, I, I had lost my footing. I let go. I, I thought maybe I thought I could stand and then I, I'm underwater. So the next thing I, and the rest is a blur, but, but what people tell me is that that same man in the elevator was there just out of nowhere. And he was, he was just a kind of, I don't know if he appeared there, but he was right there next to me and everyone was jumping up trying to get in. And, and he said, no, no, don't worry. I got it. No, I got it. And then um, after that, I got out of the pool and then everyone looked for him to thank him and he was gone. So my parents always told me that they believed that he was, he was an angel because it, he didn't really look at, look at my parents and address them. It was like, I'll, I'll see you at the pool. And he looked at me and, um, you know, so that was always a, a story that I remember fondly mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you always wonder whatever happened to that man? Was he an yeah. angel? I like to think he was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it, it was too many of us. It was a, a good sized pool. Yeah. It was and a big half pool. Of it was like it kind of sloped down and mm -hmm. you know, to got, five feet. 
Yeah, so all of our cousins, we were all in the shallow end. And it was just too many of us. We had too many aunts and uncles and, you know, mm-hmm. came out of absolutely nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember him carrying you. Oh, you oh, yeah. I remember that, but we were like, where did he come from? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I remember the adults oh. trying to track him down and no, nothing. Yeah. So, it's an interesting story. Very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any more questions in the chat, Joyce? Let's see, because I think we actually hit them all. Oh, we did? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing if, if we missed any at all, but I don't see any more. That's wow. Well, this has been, this has been yeah. great. I, I appreciated y'all's questions. Y'all brought out things that I didn't really think about, especially when, when you asked about um, free time and balance and um, do I do I bring do I bring work home I thought I didn't but apparently I do all the time I just in my mind I'm like no I never do <laughs> it's hard it's hard yeah. yeah yes so well there's one of course from Antoine so mm-hmm. or if you watched our streams Antoine is a you know he is yes that's the one you at least every <laughs> He always tries to trip me up. So I, I generally ignore his questions. It's scary. Uh-huh. <laughs> and can I just at least submit something? I said, don't do that. You know, uh-huh. I said, wait a second. Wait until the end. We and love then, Antoine's questions. Yes, we do. He throws me off and I can't stop laughing. So, <laughs> so I okay, said, I'm five, ready. last five minutes, go ahead. Um, so he said, um, hold on. can you explain what cookie parties are were and did Joyce eat them all? Cookie parties. Okay, so so is he talking about like like Christmas? When cookies? we all get together, uh huh. Yes. we just have our cookie parties. Yeah, uh, yeah. So every Christmas or a lot of Christmases, we would come together and try to have some. Every different families would bring different types of cookies, and I do recall Joyce being a little bit of a cookie monster and you know eating up all the cookies. I, no, I, I a food think... monster. I just I want to eat everything. Oh yes, Joyce, Joyce would eat dinner at her house, and she'd come to our house, and then he'd be like, "Go, oh, can I have some food?" And so she was always hungry. So yes, food, 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 food gobbler, absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent. Is it? Is it still the same? Do you still? I love food. Yeah, see? But I think I talk about it way more than I actually eat it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it all balances out. Good question, Antoine. Keep them coming. Antoine's supposed <laughs> oh, we only have one more minute. Never mind. I guess you're out of question. <laughs> That's okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just, I actually appreciate your your um your spirit. I mean, you you're all. I mean, you talked about very difficult times and working in that stressful atmosphere and you know that kind of thing, and to be able to maintain you know a positive attitude and and that is huge. Um. You know, a lot of folks are burning out and, and that kind of thing. So that that's actually great. Um, and that all translates to the care you give, you know, I'm sure to your patients and all that matters. And I'll be honest, I know I've been saying this a lot, but I don't know how people, talking about God a lot, but I don't know how people make it without, even before COVID, you know, I like I leaned heavily, but even more so. So to go through all this and to not have, not have God and not have Jesus, I, I really don't know how people make it. So I'm just I'm just so blessed that I had godly parents and that, you know, they instill things in me that just come out now as I'm older and it's like I don't even think about it, but that's just there. So I'm very blessed. You're very blessed. Absolutely. And well, thank I you all for all your questions, your thoughtful questions and watching and yeah. And thank you for all that you do, not just because you're my cousin, but Honestly, I mean, and you, you saw it, you were there with me. I grew up constantly in the hospital and all mm-hmm. and having a doctor there, you know, even an anesthesiologist. I had a really amazing one at one point who bought me this heated, it wasn't a blanket. It was like a, I don't know. It was like plastic. A bear oh yeah. bear And he also got me a warm um, IV because really? the fluids that go into my arm really hurts. Mm. Um, but he was amazing. Mm. So to have doctors like that who are caring and loving and not to mention Christian, mm-hmm. you know, that means so much. Yes. So, but thank you. Thank you. thank you. Would you mind wrapping up, Leela? Yeah, I will wrap up. Janora, thank you again for joining us tonight. It was definitely a pleasure to have you with us mm-hmm. and uh, to finally 
I'll say for me, put a face to a name. I've heard Janor, Janor, Janor over the years so much. Right? <laughs> and that's all in a positive light. It really good. <laughs> good, good, good. But all of you who are watching, appreciate you all uh, tuning in tonight as well. Don't forget to go over to NewarkUBC.info. Uh, if you need to submit a prayer request, praise report. We want to hear your positive stories. I know we harp on praise prayer requests, but tell us about the good things happening. We do want to hear some good news. So you got something going on in your life and we're disconnected. Be sure to share that um, under the prayer and praise report card. Uh, join a small group. You know, you know the routine. Uh, get over there. If you want to give, you go to NewarkUBC.info also. And don't forget that we are right now in the midst of our Thanksgiving uh, food drive. So if you would like to contribute to that, um, go to the giving uh, icon at info and be sure to contribute to that by November 15th. All right, that's it. We are signing off for tonight. God bless you all. And we look forward to seeing you again tomorrow night.